We've been working our way through these, these six distinctives of what we call redemption culture, uh, fervent prayer, bold preaching, passionate worship, purposeful disciple-making, courageous evangelism, strategic church planting. Uh, I hope those are starting to get into your head. Uh, I hope as somebody asks you on the, on the street, hey, what, what is that Redemption Church all about? I saw, that, I saw that sticker on the window of your van. That's fancy. Um, what's that all about? Uh, and and you, can, you can just rattle these off. Well, here's, here's what we're about. These are the things that we are kind of hung up on. Um, and, and, and these are important. This is what we have uh, decided as a church that we're going to be about. And, and again, it's not just because they're neat, but because this is what the Bible teaches the church is to be about. And we want to be faithful to those things. Um, but there's a, a progression in these that I, that I want to kind of help you see a little bit. I haven't talked a lot about it, um, but this first, we, we are a worshiping church and we're ascending church. And that's significant. These first three, fervent prayer, bold preaching, passionate worship, um, that's about worshiping God rightly. First and foremost, we're a worshiping church because that's primary. That's absolutely primary. That's where we start and that is our end goal is to worship. It's all about the glory of God. And, and, and when I say that, I mean that in, in just an absolute all-encompassing way. The Bible's so clear. The very creation of this world and everything that God does without exception drives toward that singular purpose of the display of his glory. Romans eleven thirty six, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's this constant ring throughout Scripture. If you start to watch for it, you start to kind of dig out these passages. God is consistently saying, for my glory I do these things. Isaiah 43, 6-7, I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. My formed and I made. God's ultimate purpose is His glory. It's the display of His greatness. And our role in that ultimate purpose is worship. That's, that's where we fit into that puzzle. To revel in and enjoy and therefore give a greater display of the glory of God. That's our purpose as human beings. That's our purpose as the church. So we're a worshiping church, fervently praying to, boldly preaching about, passionately worshiping this glorious God. And the fullness of that worship overflows necessarily into sending, right? We're, we're worshiping church, and then we're ascending church. Sending means purposeful disciple-making. It means courageous evangelism. It means strategic church planting. So think about it. The, the passion of our heart, the purpose of our life, our greatest joy is the glory of God. What could be more natural than to want to see that passion, that purpose, that joy flow out into other people that they might see and savor him as well? John Piper says it this way. He says, I find it, uh, he, he says, missions exist because worship does not. Think about that. Missions exist because worship does not. Why do we go to the ends of the earth? Why do we take what Paul calls the, the gospel of the glory of God into every corner of this planet? Why do we cross the street to share 
the gospel with our neighbor. Now, absolutely, our hearts break for the lost who are in danger of hell and the wrath of God. Absolutely, we desire to see them come to know the joy that we have in God and to share in that the goodness of a life lived according to His design, obedience to His will. But the ultimate purpose, the highest goal, the purpose in which all of these subordinate purposes all come together and are fulfilled is what God said through Isaiah. It's calling his sons and his daughters from the ends of the earth who were created for his glory. It's, it's the growing of this display of his glory. It's worship. Sending flows out of worship and sending goes out for the goal of worship. Revelation 5 is the the picture of the the consummation of missions. It's the great climax of the Great Commission. And it's the singing of a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were the slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's worship. It's the glory of God on the tongues of redeemed people from every nation, people, and tribe. So the overflow of our worship is that we're sent, and the goal of being sent is is worship. And and if we're not sent, there's a deficiency in our worship. We don't live lives under this purpose. We're we're missing something in our worship. We're we're short-suited God. So we're a worshiping church and we're a sending church. We're about fervent prayer and bold preaching and passionate worship and and purposeful disciple making and courageous evangelism and strategic church planting. Um, So this morning, um, we're we're coming to this second to last uh, courageous evangelism. Preached twice this summer on uh, evangelism, a more specific way. If you want to grab that, you can go on SoundCloud. It's under that Redemption Life playlist. But this morning, I want to just kind of step back a little bit and set the foundation. The, the driving force of evangelism, this, the model for it. And we'll look at John 20, verse 21. As worshiping Christians, we're followers of Jesus. We're sent on this mission. And, and I encourage you, flip to John 20, verse 21. If you don't have a Bible on you, um, just go ahead and slip up your hand. One of our ushers will grab you a Bible We want you to have God's Word open in your lap. Um, We're going to be moving through the text a little more this week than we usually do, Um, but uh, hopefully we can keep up. We'll have some of the verses up behind me on the screen. But John 20, 21, seems simple and straightforward. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's huge. In the same way that the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Church, we have been sent. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of His? It means to be sent on a mission. To be sent the same way that Jesus was sent. Now, I just got to confess to you something this morning. When, when I decided to, to grab this verse and kind of extrapolate on this and dig into what this means, uh, I didn't really know what I was setting myself up for. 
Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit uh, when I was in Indianapolis, and uh, it just kind of wet my appetite. And I was like, I want to, I want to, I want to drive into that. I want to figure that out a little bit more, and, and I think that's going to flow in with where we're at. And and uh, I didn't realize the extent to which this flows through the Book of John. Um, there's a, a question that this verse begs. If Jesus is sending us the same way that God the Father sent him, we have to ask, well, in what way did God send Jesus? Right? That, that's what informs how we are sent. How did God send Jesus? And the fullness of that answer, I think, obviously, is just far beyond what we're going to cover in, in one Sunday morning. So I'm just going to admit that right out of the gate. This is going to be cursory. You're going you're gonna to walk away thinking, oh, what about this? And, and what about that? No, he didn't mention this. I know. I know. I got, I got pages of notes that have left sitting in the office for another day. Um, we can only do so much. Uh, 34 times in the book of John, Jesus speaks of his relationship with the Father uh, in terms of having been sent. Constantly he's saying, the, the one who sent me or the, the purpose for which I have been sent uh, it's an average of, of 1.6 times per chapter, 34 times through 21 chapters. So this whole book is, is driving toward, is setting up for 2021. So we're going to try and unpack those 34 verses a little bit, try to group them together, find some themes there. Obviously, we won't touch all of them. But I think one of the first things that we see in the way that Jesus was sent is that we are sent on a life of radical obedience. A life of radical obedience. Six times as Jesus speaks about his having been sent, he speaks in this context of his obedience to God. John 5.30, he says, I can do nothing of my own as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I was sent, and so it's not about me, it's about the will of him who sent me. John 8, 28 and 29. Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Later on in John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Think about this. This is Jesus. This is the, the second person of the Trinity, the one who said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now, in humility, he says, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. I didn't come on my own accord. He sent me. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him, Him who sent me. We love to have God as our co-pilot, as the popular license plate says, right? Now, if you have that license plate out in the parking lot, no judgment. Um, just slip outside quick after the service and scratch off the co part. That doesn't belong there. Being sent by God doesn't mean that God is our co-pilot. That we get to fly the plane, that we make the decisions, that we choose the destination, and, and God is kind of along for the ride. 
He's there in case there's turbulence to help out. He's there to give some, some tips and pointers maybe along the way. No, being sent by God doesn't mean that God is now here to serve you. It means that we are here to serve Him. We ought to be able to say like Jesus, my life is not about my will. Think about that statement for a minute. My life is not about my own will. I don't live on my own accord. I don't live according to my own desires, logic, drive, passion. I don't seek my own pleasure, but the pleasure of Him who sent me. That's huge. That's radical obedience. I'm here to do God's will. I live on His mission. I do what pleases Him. He's not my co-pilot. I've given up the controls. I've left the cockpit. I'm in the back washing the feet of the other passengers. He's taken this. He doesn't want to be co-pilot. He wants to be king. And anything less is an affront to his glory. To follow Jesus means to be sent like he was sent. And to be sent like Jesus means a life of, of radical obedience. Laying down our life. Laying down our our rights. Think about it. It's no longer your prerogative. It's not your place to decide what's right and what's wrong. Not your job. It's God's job. No longer your job to have a, a goal for your life. Here's, here's where I want to do. These are the things I want to accomplish. Not your job. You've been sent on a mission. To have a, a dream of all the things that I'd love to see and to do with my life. It's about God's mission. What does your, your bucket list tell you about the direction of your life? I, I would love to take my wife to Paris. I shouldn't even say that. She would love to go. Yeah, she's taking notes now. That's convenient. Uh, she would love to go. I would love to take her. And, and you know what? If the Lord should be so kind and give us that opportunity, we'll go. And we'll enjoy it. And we'll praise God for it. That would be great. But you know what? That's peripheral. It's not the goal of my life. It's not the drive behind it. Off the top of my head, I think the furthest place Jesus ever traveled uh, was the Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Google Maps tells me it's about 200 kilometer drive. It's less than that as the crow flies. Do you think Jesus' life was lacking? Because he never traveled? Oh, you've got to travel the world, right? Don't get married until you've traveled the world. See the sights. Then you can retire and travel the world. That's so important. Jesus never traveled. Paul traveled. Paul got around. Now, he never got on an airplane, but uh, he walked probably in excess of about 10,000 miles. But read Acts. That was no vacation. He was on a mission. You may be sick of hearing this verse, but I hope it's another thing that's getting stuck in your head because it sure is stuck in mine. Acts 20, 24. I do not account my life of any value or precious to myself. If only I may finish the course, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's his job. That's his life's goal, his mission. He wrote to young Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. 
But his aim is to please the one that enlisted him. Right? The, no, no Marine gets you know, dropped out of a plane over cover of darkness and slides into a quiet village to go shopping for trinkets for his wife back home. No, he's there on a mission. His job is to please the one who sent him to accomplish the task on which he's been sent. What's the purpose of your life? Is it to live a life of radical obedience sent by God on a mission? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. That brings us to this mission itself. Yes, this this idea of radical obedience is overarching. It, It bleeds out into every part of our life. But we have a specific mission. We need to be specifically obedient to that. We're sent out on a life of radical obedience. And then secondly, we're sent out on a life of faithful evangelism. Faithful evangelism. Now we could go to Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Go and make disciples. We could go to Acts 1, 8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. We're not going to do that. I want to look at Jesus' statements. This idea of now we are being sent as the Father has sent him. How was Jesus sent? Ten times through the book of John, he speaks of his being sent by the Father, and he connects it back to this idea of faithful evangelism, faithfully proclaiming the good news of salvation. Start with the obvious, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now obviously at some level this is speaking of Jesus being sent as the salvation for the world in a way that we have no part in. But following in this same path of obedience... We've been sent as part of this spreading of the good news. Those who reject Christ stand condemned before God. They will not enter into God's glory, into heaven for eternity. The Bible and, and Jesus himself are horrifyingly clear. Matthew 13, 49, So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As rebels against God, we stand condemned to hell. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world because that was already done. That already stands. He gave his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the message that the Father sent Jesus to proclaim. Look at John 14, 23, 24. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Even Jesus didn't come declaring his own message. He came declaring the words of his Father. 
John 17, 8, for I have given them into the sorry, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. John 3, 34, 36. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son. He's given all things in His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus was sent into the world, not to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through Him, through this message of the gospel that there is salvation in Christ. It's a helpful tip for our evangelism. Our goal is not to condemn people. We may have to help them see that they stand condemned already. But our our job is to come and proclaim salvation, the goodness of God, and the forgiveness of sins. But the one sent by God utters the words of God. Specifically, this call to believe in the Son, to, to repent and turn to Him, to come for eternal life. That's our mission. That's what Jesus was sent to do, and just as the Father sent him, so he has sent us with a message, with words that are to be on our lips. This life-giving good news, the message of hope for all those who trust in him. So our, our mission is to be witnesses to the truth, that we're sinners deserving hell, but that God has sent his Son to die on our behalf, that we can be saved. So that even the worst of sinners, with nothing to offer God but but blood-soaked, empty hands, can be washed, can be cleansed. Colossians 1.13, rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into His glorious light. What a beautiful description. Ephesians 2.3 describes them first as children of wrath. And then later as recipients of the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What an amazing message. What an amazing thing we have to proclaim. I want to pause here. Is it just words? Is it just words? What about feeding the hungry? What about clothing the naked? What about caring for the poor, comforting the suffering? Isn't that part of what we're called to do as well? Isn't that part of who we are to be? Isn't that what Jesus did? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely it is. But we also need to be a little bit cautious here. We talked last week about the the downfall of of what we call the liberal church. And if you want to know more, you can go listen to last week. Um, That's very much the path they took. They, They moved away from the Bible because it was no longer it was no longer popular, it was no longer um, seen as, as logical. We're smarter than that now. We don't believe in miracles and these things. In that, they, they moved away from this idea that Jesus came to die as a penalty for sinners. Began to talk more about the fact that, that Jesus just came to live as a good example for us, that we could follow Him. Let's not talk about hell. That's not popular. The modern mind doesn't really go there, so let's not push it. And the main thrust of the liberal church became not to proclaim the message by which we must be saved, not to call sinners to repentance, just to feed the hungry, care for the poor, and just tell them, hey, God loves you. 
That's not loving at all. It's not loving at all when those good deeds are detached from that saving message of the gospel. Deeds are important. That's why we say courageous evangelism in word and deed. It matters. The Bible calls us to live these radical lives of love, loving others more than ourselves, serving others, caring for the downtrodden and the poor. But here's the thing, those those deeds ought always to be serving the message of evangelism. It's not as though words are one way to proclaim the good news and deeds are another way. They cannot be separated. Yes, Jesus came healing the sick and, and feeding the hungry, but why? Sickness is at the root of, or sickness is rooted in sin. That's why we have sickness and death and pain and suffering. It's only because we live in this sin-broken world. When Jesus healed people, he, He wasn't just coming to give them physical comfort. He was displaying His power over sin and its effects. They were, they were signs. They were pointing to something that He's greater than sin. He's putting on display the fact that that He is the way back to what we lost when we lost the Garden of Eden. The presence of God in a world without sin and suffering and death. Matthew 9, they bring a paralyzed man to Jesus and He doesn't heal him. Instead, He says to him, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees begin to question Him. Matthew 9, verse 5, Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Now, quick hint, it's easier to say, rise and walk, than your sins are forgiven. That's the easier job to do. But, Jesus says, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. Your sins are forgiven. How can you say that? I'll show you. Rise and walk. Because I have power over sin. I have power over the effects of sin. Jesus' healing of the sick was this display of his power. John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Quietly slips away across the sea. The next morning, the crowd follows him and and finds him. and And he scolds them. He says to them in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, You're seeking me not because you saw a sign. No, that's key. Not because you saw something that pointed to something greater, the fact that I'm the Messiah who has come, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then he goes on to teach, I am the bread of life. Why did I give you loaves of bread? Not just to fill your stomachs, but to show you I'm the bread of life. It was a sign. It was evidence the Messiah had come. If you're following Jesus just because your belly's getting filled, you're missing the point. So yes, 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 good deeds are absolutely significant. Ought to overflow out of our lives. Feed the hungry care for the poor. And and in in some subservient way, we do the same as saying we're we're here to bring this message of healing and hope and comfort pointing back to a world that doesn't have these things. 
but do it as an avenue to that much greater gift, the gospel of salvation. World Vision calls me every year. We used to support a child through them, and so every year I have the chance to share the gospel with one of their call center guys. And it's been some interesting conversations over the years. But here's the thing. Does, does World Vision do good stuff? Like, absolutely. That's great. They feed people. They, they care for the poor. Whole communities are made better because of what World Vision does. That's great. But World Vision, which was once founded as a Christian organization, no longer prioritizes the gospel, no longer has that as part of their mission at all. They're strictly about physical needs and not spiritual needs. And so as nice as that is to help the poor, and I hope they keep doing that, without pairing it with some gospel mission, that's just not what I'm about. That's just not what I'm going to prioritize. I would far rather see one soul saved from an eternity in suffering in hell than 10,000 people clothed and fed as they pass into a Christless eternity in hell. It's just no contest. I want to see somebody saved, not, not just warmed. Warmed and saved, that's better. But the goal is that they might know Christ. So yes, help the hurting, the poor, the downtrodden, the broken. Find ways to do that. I'm eager to, to as a church, begin to identify ways that we can be reaching into our community, blessing our community. And you know what, not, not every single action is going to come with, with speaking the gospel directly, but that's the flow of it. That's the direction, that's the, the current that we're swimming in here. Because that's the mission. That's the mission that we're sent on, a life of radical obedience and a life of faithful evangelism to speak the words of Him who sent us. And thirdly, a life of resolute sacrifice. Maybe more than just a single passage, we need to recognize the, the theme of Jesus' life, the flow of it. Suffering was just key to every part of it. Right from the beginning, John 1 verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Jesus, the Creator of all things, who spent eternity past in unapproachable light and the splendor of the Trinity, stepped down into flesh, confined to a body, born in a manger, feeling pain, born to a poor family, worked as a a bricklayer. Not only that, but, but rejected by his own people. He lived poor and homeless his entire adult life. And of course, all of that culminated in his brutal beating, torture, and death on the cross. And looking that death square in the face, John 12, 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. That's why I'm here, to suffer, to die. John 20, where Jesus says to them, As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Where were the disciples? What are they doing? (laughs) They're huddled together in a locked room, hiding out. Why? Because Jesus just got murdered. 
And now he shows up and he says, hey, guess what? Just as the Father has sent me, even so now I am sending you. Thanks, Jesus. Great news. He's saying, follow me into death. Just as God sent me to die, I'm sending you to die. Give up your life. Give up your plans for ease and comfort. Give over your fear of being outcast and mocked and scorned. Let's just get over that right now. He already told them, John 15, 20. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they had kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus was sent by God and the world hates God, and so they hated him as well. We're sent by Jesus and the world hated and crucified Jesus. They'll hate us as well. That's part of the package. A couple months ago, the Alberta government asked all of the schools to submit an anti-bullying statement for approval. I'm sure you saw this floating around. Every Christian school that had some statement saying that, that every child has inherent value because they're created in the image of God had their statement rejected, sent back. You can't say that. That's uncaring, that's disrespectful, that's offensive. I'm not happy about that. I'm going to sign the petitions that come my way. I'm going to cast my vote to oppose that, but I'm not surprised by that. And I expect it's going to get worse. We've become comfortable in a society that, that has just kind of been passively, generically Christian for a long time. And, and so we've just kind of been at rest. We're losing that fast. Are you ready? Are you ready to lose your business? Are you ready to lose your freedom to educate your children where you would have them educated? Are you ready to lose your rights to to different social services, maybe lose your freedom altogether if that's the response of the government to our proclaiming this gospel message. We're not far from that. Maybe the Lord will be gracious and we'll see things go another direction, but maybe not. We have no guarantee of that. Will you continue to follow Christ when it really costs you? Even if it costs you your life. And I think we have to ask that question in just a million little ways every day. Am I willing to follow Christ and be obedient to Him even when it's not what my heart most desires at this moment? A couple of minutes ago we read John 1.27, Jesus saying, this is the purpose for which I came. Let's just back up in that passage a little bit. Start at verse 23. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified and Almost ironically, by that he means put to death. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Jesus subtly shifts and he begins talking about us, if you're paying attention. Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Anyone who serves me If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and 
What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. He's going to the cross, saying to them, where I am going, you need to go. Our mission will be accomplished through suffering, through sacrifice, even death. Luke 10.2, Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord to send out to send the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And we like to stop there, but Jesus goes on and says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in midst of wolves. Here's your mission. Sheep, go out into the wolves. Jesus' call was a call to follow him and to expect suffering and hardship and trial. And that may come from government oppression. That may come through the scoffing and mocking of the guys at work. That may come through voluntarily living with less so that you can continue to love others more for the sake of the gospel. But when he says, my father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He's sending us to this life of radical obedience, this life of faithful evangelism, and a life of resolute suffering. But we've been sent, church. Do you take that seriously? Do we, do, do, do we see our lives as being on a mission for Jesus? Look, we, we wrestle so much in our day and day. What's my, what's my purpose in life? This is your purpose in life. Jesus gave it to you. It's not a small part of what we do. Is this your overarching theme of your life? Penetrating, uniting everything else we do. We're sent on a mission. 